Happy Monday, ladies and lads of Liberty. So thrilled to have you back here once again on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, where you hear me every single Monday doing interviews, roundtables, all sorts of conversations that I am inciting within the libertarian movement. We actually had a really great conversation on our Patreon the other day. It was me and Brian discussing the issues of immigration and borders through the libertarian perspective and uh, through the concept of the fact that we currently have a welfare state as well. So if you want to hear more of that conversation or hear all of that conversation, I should say, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. And uh, it was pretty fun. It got a little, I don't want to say contentious because, you know, we never get personal, but we did disagree quite a bit. And uh, at the end of the day, we ended up still not agreeing because it's, it's a complicated subject and we both have very different views on it. And the reason we do this show is to facilitate these conversations. So it's not that often you guys get to hear us really disagreeing with each other all the time. We have our separate shows. Uh, We sometimes get into it on our libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor shows. But we really want to do this dedicated live stream on this issue because it does come up a lot and we do have different different views on it. So head over to patreon.com slash lions of liberty for as little as $2 now, just $2 a month. You can get access to those live streams for $5 a month and up. You can get access to all of our audio content and the rewards get more and more and more as you go higher. Really amazing time. We always put in the extra effort to make sure our patrons are getting great content. I'll of course post a link to that as well over in today's show notes, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash 422. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Right, Lions, welcome back. And if you recall, I have done a couple episodes on the situation in Venezuela as of late, uh, specifically as it pertains to the ideas of liberty, of course. I had on Zach Foster, who has worked with liberty groups in Venezuela. Uh, I also had on Jose Nino of the Mises Institute, who is also a Venezuelan-American, to get his view on the situation. And and this is a subject that uh, really continues to garner a lot of interest. And uh, recently, I was reached out to by a young woman who is here with me today, uh, along with another guest, and who I'll introduce in a bit. And uh, we're going to dig into this subject a little bit deeper. So uh, first, I would like to bring in the aforementioned young lady. She is the national director of Movimiento Libertario in Colombia, which is a beautiful country, I might add. I spent some time there a few years ago. Uh, and this is an organization that aims to spread uh, libertarian ideas and gain political relevance for those ideas in Colombia and Latin America overall. Uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Miss Maria Alejandra Londoño. Maria, are you ready to roar? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, also, he is making his return to the show. He has recently been traveling to Colombia to volunteer on the border with medical assistance to Venezuelans that are coming into the country in very difficult situations. I'm pleased to welcome back Dr. Kyle Varner. Kyle, are you ready to roar? I am ready to roar. I had a feeling you would be. Uh, Now, guys, before we get into things, I do want to just mention someone else that we were hoping to have with us today, uh, because I know he's an amazing activist uh, in Venezuela. His name is Pedro Yurik. See, I tried to to have you guys help me with this, and I nailed his last name before the show, but now I'm having a problem. (laughs) Pedro Orachurtu. I believe that is correct, right? That's correct. Right, and yes. I'm going to have I'm going to have you uh, introduce yourself, Maria. But since he's not here, can you just tell us a little bit about Pedro and why you wanted to have him come on the show? Uh, he is in Venezuela, so of course, uh, internet can be spotty. There are blackouts, and we presume that that's kind of the situation why he, why he's not able to join us right now. 
Yeah, well, uh, Pedro, Cal, and I met a few months ago in Mongolia, I have to say, uh, in the Liberty International World Conference. Pedro is a young activist uh, from Vente Venezuela. That's the liberal libertarian party of, of Venezuela. Uh, at the head of uh, Maria Corina Machado, he's like the right hand of Maria Corina, and he knows very well the problem, the issues that are going on in Venezuela today. And that's why I wanted uh, you to invite us to to hear hear the situation from a person that is actually living it day to day, that it's in Venezuela, like you said, uh, having to deal with blackouts, with uh, violence, with threats. So thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And I hope to uh, get Pedro uh, back on in the future. You know, we, we'll talk to him, uh, you know, once once he gets back to, to the Internet. But in the meantime, we still have a lot we can talk about uh, about the situation in Venezuela and Latin America overall. So, Maria, I, w- I, w- I do want to start off learning a little bit more about yourself. So why don't you just tell us how you became uh, interested in, in libertarian ideas and uh, maybe talk about how those ideas uh, or how present they are in Colombia, you know, how you came up, ha- came upon them and sort of like how you've developed into uh, becoming a leader in this movement and how you got involved with uh, Movimento Libertario. Well, I like to think that all of us that call ourselves libertarians always had that gene hide, hide between us. Uh, I was always very skeptical about the government's role in society, even when I was uh, in high school. So when I got to college, I had the luck to... Uh, had this professor, he made me read Marx and Hayek at the same time and decide which one was better. And the ideas of Hayek just like clicked with me, uh, wrote to serve them. And, and I always thank him because like, it was because of him that I knew that uh, the ideas that work are the ideas of liberty. From that moment, uh, you just, I was like the assistant of the class. Uh, so I helped him orga- uh, organize a seminar of Austrian economics. Uh, so you just meet a, a lot of people in this kind of events. And then I just started creating a network around people that Friends of Liberty here. Here in Colombia, that happened like uh, five years ago. I just started growing uh, within the organization. We had a podcast, some YouTube videos, and then they uh, addressed me as the director a year ago. And well, the ideas, the ideas of liberty in Colombia are growing. It hasn't been easy. Uh, the Populist lie, the socialism ideas are still very appealing to to young to young people and to most of uh, politicians. So we're doing the work uh, right now. We're trying that more people in Colombia get to know uh, the libertarian movement and understand why liberty is so important uh, for Colombia and for Latin America. Great. Well, we'll definitely dig uh, in, more into the work you're doing with uh, Movimento Libertario uh, in a minute. But uh, Kyle, I want to talk to you for a minute again now. You've, you've been on the show before, so you have told the story of how you became a libertarian before. I will link to that in today's show notes. We don't need to recap the whole thing now, uh, but I want to know a little bit more specifically about how you became active in working with liberty groups in Latin America and what led you to travel to Colombia recently to uh, you know, help Venezuelans coming over the border there. Sure. It's, uh, it's a, a long story, but it starts when I went to medical school um, and I did my first two years of the, of the medical school on the island of Antigua, where they speak English. And then my medical school said, you can go to Puerto Rico and they all speak English there and you won't need to learn Spanish. So I went and that was a complete lie. 
I had to learn Spanish and I didn't speak any Spanish. So uh, I had to learn medicine and learn Spanish really fast at the same time. And I was having trouble with my um, uh, Spanish listening skills, right? I could speak it, but when people spoke at conversational speed, I couldn't really understand very well. I, I know so this I started, problem well. <laughs> yes. So I started watching Hugo Chavez speeches on YouTube. Uh, and this was, uh, uh, this was, let me see, this was right around 2010, I want to say. Yeah, right around 2010. And so I really started to learn about Venezuela because as a libertarian, when you hear Hugo Chavez speak, he's so disconnected from reality, but it's so triggering because just every anti-liberty thing that could come out of somebody's mouth came out of his mouth over and over again mixed with profanity. Um, it, it was horrible and entertaining at the same time. But I really, really learned to hate him and his ideology. So then fast forward to my last clinical rotation. I did it at the University of Miami in Miami. And I moved into a building full of Venezuelans. And um, all these Venezuelan expats, almost all my neighbors were Venezuelans. And now I spoke Spanish and everybody got a real kick out of this gringo who speaks Spanish. So they all wanted to talk to me. And we talked a lot about Venezuela. And this was right around the time when Enrique Capriles was challenging Hugo Chavez. And everybody thought Capriles is going to win. Well, one of the things that Chavez did, one of the many dirty tricks he pulled to steal that election, is that he shut down the consulate in Miami. And so any Venezuelan citizens in the Miami area, and that's where most Venezuelan expats were at the time, and still pretty much are, uh, the, the majority of them, had to go all the way to New Orleans. So all my neighbors chartered a bus. I threw in to help them. Um, and that was the first thing I ever did to try to help out Venezuela, was just throw in some money to help my neighbors charter a bus so they could go all the way to New Orleans from Miami because Hugo Chavez didn't want them to vote. So uh, I went off to residency, and uh, that, that really uh, didn't, uh, you know, I kind of got off, uh, lost touch a lot with my, my friends there, but I, I still stayed uh, interested in it. Then I went to a Liberty International World Conference in 2017, 2016 or 2017, in Puerto Rico. I met a guy named Leo Brito. Uh, Leonardo Brito is a Venezuelan liberty activist, and he spoke there, and he spoke in a very heartfelt way about the, the things that he had endured, the things that he had lost, and the personal cost, and it was very moving to me. And so I asked Leonardo, why uh, do you stay and fight? Like, I, I, because it's something that I still have trouble uh, grasping. Things are so horrible. The suffering is so bad. The risks are so high. Why would anybody stay? Why don't you just leave the country? And he, he answered with tears in his eyes that the, the regime had killed his friends. And he couldn't live with himself if he didn't do everything possible to topple that regime and to bring justice to the people responsible for his friend's murder. And that was so moving to me. And I started supporting him through the Bastiat Institute of Venezuela. I started sending Bitcoin and little by little building up a network, a social media network of Venezuelans. Fast forward to earlier this year, uh, right after uh, the, the National Assembly declared Juan Guaido uh, or selected Juan Guaido as the interim president of Venezuela, and a young medical student named Franklin Camargo in Aragua State was uh, going to class. And instead of having class, they had an indoctrination session. And they said, you need to be thankful to Maduro because he's giving you a free education. You need to support Chavismo. This is a Chavez, a Chavez kind of school. This is a socialist, a revolutionary medical school. He stood up and he denounced Maduro and he denounced socialism. And for that, he was similarly expelled from medical school. And that, I, I, I learned of that through social media and I reached out to him. Subsequently, he came under threats. He had to go into hiding. And I was able to help him get out of the country. 
And I, I got to know him as a friend. And, and so now I started to have a real connection where I, I, I started really having skin in the game. This is uh, a friend who still had family in the country who helped get out of the country. And I, I, um, I, I started to really see and understand more and more of the things that were happening. and said, I've got to do something. So when I found out that there was uh, the, the, the possibility for me to go to Colombia and volunteer my medical skills on the border, I went right away. And I'm going again in like a week and a half or two weeks. Um, and um, I work with a group called Med Global. They're a, a group that does refugee care. Uh, and they go to all the refugee crises uh, around the world. Uh, and they've got a clinic there. They give them their medications, do all the primary care medicine. I saw things when I was down there that shocked me absolutely shocked me. I never seen before uh, that parasites I'd never seen before diseases that are advanced, but curable in their early stages that were advanced and deadly. And I had unfortunately a 25 year old lady who died of something very, very curable. If she had been in a country that wasn't economically destroyed. And I, I still maintain contact with her parents. But so, so now these are my patients and Maduro is killing my patients and um, socialism is killing my patients. So I'm, I'm in this fight as though it's as though it's my country. I, I feel like I have such a connection here that I care uh, so deeply about it. I'm willing to do just about anything to help the, uh, bring liberty to Venezuela now. Yeah, so it's, it's become you know, quite, quite personal for you, I suppose, as well. Yeah. And uh, so the people coming over to, you know, over the border to get assistance from the organization you're working with, are they, are they just people who are, have big health problems because of the socialist system or are any of them actually literally fleeing the regime? Yeah, you know, a little bit of both. So I, uh, uh, I'll give you um, some some examples. So like, I, I took care of a guy who works for the state electrical company who still has. He showed me his carnet de patria, which is like your little patriots card that they take away if you ever speak out against the regime, and that gives you access to health care. He had really severe heart disease, had been diagnosed. They did the procedures to diagnose it in Venezuela. So he he's a guy who's on the ends with the regime, but he couldn't get his medication, and so he took a bus twelve hours to Cucuta. To, see, uh, to be seen in the clinic so we could give him a month's supply of his medication. His plan was to come back on a bus every month to get his medication. And I mean, we're talking probably a $4, $5 a month medication regimen right. uh, at wholesale prices. We're not talking about expensive drugs. This one, uh, I, I saw um, an 80-year-old blind man who took a bus for 24 hours after selling everything he owns because he had really severe uh, diarrhea and nausea and he thought he was going to die if he didn't get treated. And his wife came and they slept on the street outside our clinic and they had nothing, no way to get back home. They, they were just destitute. Um, so I've seen other people who uh, did have um, the, um, like marks of, of being beaten up and these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, they don't want to, oftentimes they're very, uh, kind of shaken up and don't want to talk about this this kind of stuff. But yes, I, I've seen that too. And so, uh, I, but I would say the majority of refugees, to be honest, are, are economic refugees. They're people who have nothing, are starving, or they have a medical problem they can't treat. And, and I mean, this could be anything because you're talking about just a simple antibiotic that would cost a couple dollars here is almost impossible to find. People go on WhatsApp and beg like everybody they can for an antibiotic. So so you got, I, I, and just to give you a scale, uh, uh, there are about 5 million Venezuelans outside of Venezuela. About a million of them are in Cucuta. And the really sad thing about it is that they, they, they're mostly people who don't have passports. To get a passport in Venezuela costs about $1,000 in bribes. Uh, you're just not going to get a passport if you don't bribe somebody. So if you don't have a passport, you can come to Colombia, but you can't leave legally the state of Norte de Santander. And uh, you can't work legally. So you've got a million people who are trapped in Norte de Santander who don't have work papers. And as you can imagine, with a million people, the market for illegal labor is basically saturated. There's no work. So that means there's no money. There's no hope. So they're not legal in Colombia, but they also can't legally return. 
No, they could legally return to Venezuela, but number one, with what with what resources? And number two, at least in Cucuta, there are soup kitchens. Uh, there are no. I mean, there, there's you know, you, at least you can eat in Cucuta, mm-hmm. uh, even though you may have to sleep on the street or, or something like that. Uh, thousands and thousands of people walk to other states of Colombia because they'll they'll stop you if you're on a bus if you don't have a passport, but they won't stop you if you're walking. And so when you drive down the, the highway in Colombia, you see a procession of people carrying all their worldly belongings uh, just as far as you can go. As far as I drove, I drove to Pamplona and just uh, the entire distance on the road, just they call them walkers. And they're just it's, it's just a procession, thousands of them. Um, and, and they're looking basically for a place where there's a little bit more availability of black market labor. That's all they've got. So Maria, as someone who lives in Colombia, uh, have you like met a lot of Venezuelan refugees over the, over the years that that have you know that have kind of found their way to you through your liberty activism, or even if it's just through you know just through living in Colombia and, and meeting these people? Yeah, totally. I mean, Venezuelan immigration in Colombia has been a shock for for most people because uh, you need to understand Colombia was very close to immigrants because during uh, the Second World War, we have a very right-wing president that was afraid that communist communist ideas will come to the country. So he shut all the the, uh, immigration, he required visa and all of this kind of thing. So we didn't see much of immigration in Colombia. So this is the first time that we've seen a massive uh, immigration of people to our country. So you you went from like only seeing Colombia, uh, Colombians on the street, even seeing uh, Ringo, as you, as you call yourself, <laughs> uh, uh, on the street was like a novelty and like, oh my God, look, he, he's, he's blonde, he has blue eyes, whatever. <laughs> and now you see Venezuelan standing on traffic lights, asking for money. Uh, you, I mean, every day you meet, uh, at least uh, every day I meet a, a Venezuela uh, guy uh, in the workplace. Now you're working with Venezuela. So now this, uh, this crisis is forever going to change uh, Colombia and Venezuela because we are not separate countries anymore. We are now kind of like one country because of the culture that Venezuela brings and the culture that... When this is over, hopefully soon, uh, Venezuelans will take with them and they're taking a part of Colombia and they're bringing Venezuela into into Colombia. So it's very, it's very impressive for some people. I mean, especially those that don't advocate for open borders and for liberty. Um, you see like problems with healthcare, as Kyle was saying, a lot of diseases that in Colombia were not... Uh, they didn't exist anymore, are now a, a problem again because of the regime and all the diseases that uh, workers, as as Kyle called them, are bringing and is is crazy. I'm curious, um, you know, talking about people crossing borders and, and bringing their ideas in, I'm curious of the Venezuelans that you meet that are fleeing economic hardship and just you know, looking to survive and live, do a lot of them recognize that they are fleeing socialism? Like, are they making the connections mm-hmm. between the problems that they're having and the political system? Or are they just kind of disconnected from this? Are they just kind of more people that are just looking to survive? Actually, last night uh, we had an event with Maria Oropesa. She's also a young activist from Venezuela. And and we, uh, we were actually making that uh, reflection because I told her Venezuela Venezuelans had to 
by force uh, be libertarians. And now you see uh, most of uh, most of people that I meet from Venezuela, they're very libertarians. They they understand that it was socialism that killed their country, that is killing thousands, thousands of people. And and she told me that uh, if you're in Venezuela and you said you called yourself, hey, I'm a socialist, they will beat you up and tell you like you're you're insane. But for example, here in Colombia, I have friends, co-workers, sadly, that they're proud to call themselves uh, communists. And I said, like, oh, my God, it's impressive that. And, and it's so sad that people need to go through so much pain to understand that liberty is the path that works. So from the libertarian movement, we're saying, hey, we have this example, like, right here next door in our eyes. I mean, people on the streets. Uh, and we still don't understand that those are biased. The socialism doesn't work. Right. That is not that Maduro and Chavez were corrupt. No, it's, it's the system. Right. I think uh, in, in some ways when we talk about corruption of political systems, we're, we're oftentimes just missing the real point because the reason they're corrupt is because of the system. I mean, the, the system can't bring anything but corruption based on, you know, based on the ideas of using force to organize, you know, our society. Um, this is a question I guess either of you can kind of answer, but, you know, obviously you, you hear a lot of the dialogue about Venezuela, but most of the information we get is, you know, from Americans or people from the outside. So what do you think as people who have both an act uh, interacting so much with Venezuelans, uh, and obviously you, you know you're both connected to the actual uh, liberty movements within Venezuela. What do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that you hear, uh, whether it's from liber- now American libertarians or, or whomever, about the actual situation in Venezuela and you know the causes of the problems there, the political problems there? And either of you can take that. I I would say that the biggest misconception among people outside of Venezuela is that there is some kind of a stark divide in Venezuela. That there are some that there are that there's some basis of support for Maduro of ideological moral support that's keeping him in power. It couldn't be further from the truth. So opinion polling has shown that 85 percent of Venezuela wants Maduro dead. Um, I, you know I don't talk politics to my patients, but they almost all talk politics to me, and they uh, and they universally curse Nicolas Maduro. I literally never had. Uh, a single Venezuelan patient say the, the 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 alternative narrative, which would be that Trump's sanctions are killing Venezuela. Never had a single Venezuelan mention that, and they almost all talk about it, even though I don't bring it up and I don't feed the conversation because I have to, you know, as a doctor, I remain a doctor, not a political person, right? But uh, so so I see a giant groundswell of, of people yearning for liberty and a very small group of criminals oppressing them. And they've got a very clever way of doing it with foreign support from Russia and China. Uh, but but I, there is not this, this group of, of supporters of Maduro. There are some criminals who benefit from the criminal system and they're the ones that have the guns, but it is not uh, any kind of an ideological support in the country anymore. That is completely eroded because when you're starving, you know, Something is wrong. Hold your horses, kitty cats. I have to jump in here for one second and tell you about another great libertarian podcast. And this one is not your typical podcast. This one doesn't really focus so much on the ideas of liberty, but on music.
music. And who doesn't love music in some form or another? I, I guess some people don't, but who really wants to know those people anyway? Let's be honest. Anyway, the show is aptly titled Sounds Like Liberty. Sounds Like Liberty is hosted by Liberty's favorite nerdy husband, Nick Pacone, and his wife, Lizzie. They speak to guests every single week to find out who has the best music taste here in Ancapistan. And uh, the Lions of Liberty have actually been on the show, at least a good number of us. Myself, uh, Brian McWilliams, and Howie Snowden have all been on Sounds Like Liberty. We're still waiting for the John Odermatt episode, but uh, we're not actually sure if John listens to music because we already know he doesn't watch movies. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and go on over to ancapmusic.com and check out Sounds Like Liberty or just search Sounds Like Liberty on your favorite podcatcher. That's all I do. I, I stick completely to the podcatchers, but Sounds Like Liberty is an excellent show and really does a great job of merging culture, music, and liberty together. I highly recommend this program. If that wasn't enough, the show is co-hosted by an African-American female ANCAP. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? And by the way, Nick did tell me to say that in the ads. <laughs> do check out Sounds Like Liberty. Go to ancapmusic.com right now to learn more. What about people that say, well, you know, we might we may or may not like it, but you know, Maduro won the last, you know, election. I know there's a lot of controversy about the legitimacy of these things, but what do you say to people that that bring that up that say, well, like we we might not agree with the policies, but that is what the people of Venezuela want. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, it, it is not. Uh, Maduro stole stole the elections. People are starving in Venezuela, and there is no democracy at all in Venezuela. And just to get back to yeah, the previous questions, mm-hmm. I think there's three three main points that people are missing out in this conflict. First of all, is that an unrelated issue that it has nothing to do with anything else on the world. And actually, Venezuela is of Cuba. Over of the Castro regime that spent over 50 years in power. And now in Colombia, we have an additional issue, and there is uh, guerrillas, that's FARC, that's ELN. Uh, as you guys probably saw uh, a few weeks back, uh, some dissidents of the, of the FARC, uh, are they, they went to take the arms again and say, we're going to keep fighting liberty with guns. And Maduro is playing directly defending them in in Venezuela. And something people don't understand is, this, is that these guerrillas 50, 40 years ago were actually even even nowadays, I mean, a few years back, they were going to Cuba to be indoctrinated to, for that Cuba will teach them how to fight, how to arm bombs, how to indoctrinate people, how to kidnap people. So this is not an isolated issue. This is something that is affecting the whole region or the whole Latin America. And as long as we keep telling to ourselves that Maduro won fairly, that's Venezuela problem, we have nothing to do with it, uh, we're just fooling ourselves. And the next country that is going to fall under socialist and communist idea is going to be Colombia. And people here, at least, they don't understand that. And the next issue regarding that is that people think that uh, USA needs to save the world and that it it has to be the USA that uh, goes into Venezuela. And then people raise a lot of questions like, hey, but what about taxes? And is it okay? What about uh, sovereignty and all of that thing? And I tell them... uh, United States doesn't need to come and save uh, Venezuela. It's actually going... it's going to have to be Colombia and Venezuelans that, that are going to be in that conflict and even Brazil and Ecuador because we're the ones directly implicated into that. That is always nice to have a 
a strong body that is going to have your back, but uh, actually it's need, it, needs in, it needs to come from Latin America. And with that regard, this week with the UN, we made a step forward because they approved TR and now we can like directly like put more sanctions on Maduro and actually defend defend people that are fleeing their country because I mean in Venezuela people are going to fight uh, police uh, the regime police with uh, with sticks with their pots uh, it's it's insane so I think that's that's uh, the two and the third one is that at least here in Colombia in big cities you see that people say no Venezuelans are criminals they're only coming here to steal our things and actually there's not a correlation between the rates of criminality at least in Bogota and the fact and the fact if you're from Colombia or from Venezuela so uh, it's only like a 10% of Venezuelans doing uh like criminal activities versus the whole the whole universe. So more Colombians are stealing my cell phone or trying to rape me than than a Venezuelan guy will do. So I think that's those are the three mis, most important mis, misconceptions of of the Venezuelan issue. It's interesting that uh, you guys you, you hear a lot of the same arguments against illegal immigration or immigrants from countries near you that people make in the United States. They say, oh, Mexicans are coming here and bringing all this crime. But then if you look at it, it's like, well, no, Americans are committing a time of crime, you know, and the, the, the numbers aren't really different. Yeah. Kyle, did you have something to add on that? Uh, well, just uh, for for context, Maria mentioned FARC. FARC is a group that uh, has been an armed um, Marxist guerrilla terrorist group responsible for bombings, kidnappings, and murders. A few years ago, they signed a peace treaty with the government. It was a controversial peace treaty because it was subject to a vote that uh, the people disapproved it, and then the legislature overrode it. But there was a peace treaty. So when Maria mentioned the FARC dissidents, those are members of FARC who did not want to be party to the peace treaty. And those people got shelter from and arms from Maduro to continue attacking Colombians. So um, FARC was supposed to basically evolve into a political party. And that was the, the idea. We'll give you amnesty, you'll put down your arms, You'll be, you'll be a political party and you, won't, you will stop with the terrorism. And unfortunately, a large portion of FARC has now kind of been drawn back into terrorism by Nicolas Maduro. Uh, so, so that's, I just wanted to make sure that people had the backstory to that um, gotcha. about what happened there. So is there now sort of a split in FARC? Is there a political sort of nonviolent division of FARC? And now there's sort of a Maduro back to, that's going back to the, the old ways of terrorism? Yes. That's, yeah, I'll let Maria answer that. But, yeah, yeah. I, we have the political party FARC. Uh, and we have the dissidents. So government now call them like dissidents and not part directly because they don't want to draw like the bad. They don't want to le- legitimize them. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to legitimize them. And it, it's very complicated because people in the political party of FARC need to like take a stand and say, hey, we are not, we made a peace treaty, a terrible peace treaty in the eyes of the actually uh, libertarians and they need to say hi we uh, hey we don't we don't agree with these guys and the whole uh force of law should go uh against them so now you have two types of of FARC now in Colombia, and it's very confusing. Okay, th- thanks for clarifying that. Um, so, Maria, I wanted to follow up on something you mentioned a few minutes ago when you were you're speaking about um, something that occurred, a vote that had occurred at the UN recently that allowed for some sanctions on Maduro. So, A, I just want you to explain exactly more about uh, what that was, and then, uh, well, I'll let you do that first, then I'll ask a follow-up. Okay, so uh, from the Libertarian Movement and Venezuela, and 
General Friends of Liberty. We've been defending the activation of the TR. Uh, I call, you correct me if I'm saying that correctly. Inter-American Reciprocal Assistance Treaty would be what it, 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 what we in call English. it in English. Yeah. TR in Spanish. TIR. TR in Spanish. And the R2P, that's reciprocate uh, to support nations. So that allows other countries to take military actions against another country that is being threatened. This has never happened before in the history of Latin America we've, because we've never had this type of issue. So the, uh, the, by the UN recognizing this, uh, the TR, uh, that gives us a step forward to actually take actions against uh, Venezuela. What's the, what's the gist of it uh, in regard of Colombia? That guerrilla, Colombian guerrillas are hiding in Venezuela, are being, are being sponsored by Maduro, so that gives us the excuse to go to Venezuela to attack guerrillas that are supporting Maduro, that are actually the uh, the military body of the of the regime. So that's uh, we we couldn't do that before. Now now it's a, a step forward. I don't know, Kyle, if you want to add anything else on that. Well, I, I think it's 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 kind of a, this stepwise process, and I, I don't quite know why Uruguay Uruguay was the only one to vote no. And uh, I mean, but this is the same country whose national hero is Pepe Mujica, uh, who's a former Marxist guerrilla himself. Uh, You know, I I don't plan to go to Uruguay anytime in the future. Shame on Uruguay for voting no on that. But um, uh, yeah, it's 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 one more more step in, in pressure on the regime. And I'm convinced that the military in Venezuela is still there because it's the comfortable place to be. They can't get passports to leave. They get fed. Uh, but I, I do not believe for one second that the, that any large amount of the military is willing to actually risk their neck for Nicolas Maduro, which means at some point when the threat becomes credible enough, the military turns. That's my assessment of the situation. And so I was very glad to see that TR was approved um, and, and that, that you, you're seeing these stepwise fashions. But it's going to take more, uh, more than simple, uh, simply approving that. And I would expect to see that, that Colombia will probably begin airstrikes in Venezuela would be what my, my suspicion. And I mean, I know that like, uh, you know, Duque is, is a little bit hesitant to do that, but his political patron, Uribe, is very eager to do that. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Uribe pulls the strings still. Yeah, yes, probably, probably. And I know there's probably a lot of libertarians that are, are listening to this now and are hearing things like, oh, you know, the UN and are hearing about, you know, the idea of airstrikes. And I think that libertarian instinct can kind of kick in your gut and say, well, well, now, now we're talking about the UN sanctioning war against another country. Now we're talking about Colombia and other nations going to war with Venezuela. And I think a lot of libertarians might just be like, well, this, this sounds terrible. Like if we're just going to create more war here. So, I mean, I, what would you say to that instinct of a libertarian to not want to sanction governments to go bomb other countries, to not want to, you know, create a situation where there's just more violence. So, I mean, what, what would you say to sort of ease that concern? Because obviously I know everyone here wants the same thing and that that's peace and, you know, uh, free markets and all of that, that wonderful stuff. Yeah, totally. Totally. And what, what we say, what I usually say to the libertarians that are like hesitated, it's good that you guys know that here in Colombia, we have many libertarians that didn't agree with that, with that position. It's not a, uh, a whole position in the movement, but, uh, Venezuela is already military intervened. In Venezuela, there's already people dying every day. There's already violence every day. And what we're proposing is that we need a solution that 
It needs to be the diplomatic solution through the UN. We, we've also talked about many private solutions, but uh, when you go to talk to a politician or to a debate and you bring these ideas, then the ones that think that you're being too radical are the other side of, of the table. So violence is, is already happening. I just want to stop that violence. And there are some protocols that personally, I'm, I'm more fr I like more the private solution, but, but this, is a, this has never happened before. So we're just going into inexplored uh, territory. And it's important that we came with this concept, like liver loser or liver winner. So you need to have that mindset that you are going to win. And libertarians, we just can't just stand on the sidelines and see everything happen and not take action and no raise our voice. And what is happening with Venezuela today, we need to raise our voice and we need to be radical and we need to go and say, hey, this needs, this needs to stop now. And there's, we're living in democracy, we're living with governments, we're living, we're living, we are living with uh, organizations like the UN. So we just might as well use it to get out of these situations. Because as long as we have more free trade, more free commerce, uh, violence will, won't, won't get in again. But we're in a very specific situation. So would you see this more as a situation where it's just allowing Colombians to defend themselves against these, these terrorist groups that are already coming over from Venezuela yes, and definitely. then essentially hiding there away, from, away yeah. from anybody that would try to stop them? That's the, that's the argument. I mean, we have the, the upper hand in that to self to, to use the self-defense uh, libertarian point of view. I'm just curious what you would think, because you did mention U.S. intervention earlier not being a good idea or a good solution. You know, if the U.S. government were to, say, come out and support Colombia in this matter and say, you know, we want to send aid to Colombia to aid them in airstrikes or aid them to uh, go after these groups in Venezuela, like, how would you feel about that? Because in, in a way, it is the same thing you're talking about now, but at the same time, you know, when it I think when there's a, an entity that looks so disremoved from the situation, you know, when it is an imperial nation like the United States coming in, that, as you mentioned earlier, could really have the opposite effect and help embolden the other side even more. So, I mean, obviously that's not the situation at the moment, but if that were the situation, would that, you know, how would that change your views on things, if at all? Well, I think, that, uh, as I said, the, the initial... The initiation of the process needs to come from Colombia, but it, it doesn't hurt to have uh, a little help. Um, but I'd rather, I'd rather if it will come from private initiative rather than the, the government. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully it, it won't happen, but it's probably going to happen. Uh, Trump was very direct with that matter in his uh, speech at the UN again. So, so we'll see because he, he, he'll have a lot of backlash, if, uh, Trump, especially if he does that. So I, I wouldn't like it personally, but it's probably going to, what, what is going to happen. I think we have to apply reality to our ideology because I, I believe very strongly that there are huge problems with U.S. foreign policy and that in most cases the U.S. foreign policy of, of intervention abroad has done more harm than good. But let's apply reality here. Private solutions are illegal, both under Colombian and American law. I cannot send the opposition in Venezuela weapons. I can't do that from Colombia. I can't do that from the U.S. We can't train people. We can't do anything because the state has reserved for itself uh, the exclusive domain of any, uh, any violent activities. 
So the question becomes now that, that and that's, that's not really up for debate. I would love nothing more than to be able to train, arm up, and go myself. I, would, I, I mean, I'm ready to do that. Um, uh, but that's not an option. Um, so we have to ask ourselves then, do, which is the lesser of two evils? Is allowing Maduro to remain in power, basically imprisoning 30 million human beings in a gulag that, that, and starving to death millions of people uh, and destabilizing an entire continent and propagating this kind of thing across the region? Let's keep in mind, Cuba not only propagated this to Venezuela, but also to Nicaragua, to Bolivia, and they're trying to do it in Mexico because they're a parasite regime and they know that the minute they lose their sponsor in Venezuela, they will go under unless they do something. And they have a great friend in Mexico right now who, who is a major threat to the region. But we have to, we have to realize the scope of this threat. It's a very real threat that needs to be confronted. And while I would favor a private solution, that's illegal. And I'm not going to I'm not going to just sit down and let millions of people be murdered because my ideology tells me that uh, that that we we should uh, always be against this. We have to apply facts to our ideology. And the reality is that you cannot allow this kind of unchecked Cuban, Russian and Chinese aggression to take over and, and, and just kill millions of people. That's how I see it. That being said, so would you then, I mean, what, what would your thoughts about direct U.S. involvement in this situation then? Because I know Maria would, would, was pretty tentative about that. It could exacerbate problems, and um, it, it could really exacerbate problems. Uh, and I, at this point, I don't favor it. I favor the, the, the countries in the region working together. Um, and, uh, and, and look, I mean, the, the way the world works, the U.S. is the U.S. needs to give the nod to something like that. Right. It just won't happen if the U.S. doesn't give the nod. And so, uh, I mean, the U.S. is going to have to give the nod. But American troops in Venezuela would probably ignite a huge backlash from the left all over Latin America. And um, and it wouldn't be good. But I don't think that that's really necessary. I mean, the military switches sides and the day after it's open season on Chavistas. And I think Venezuela undergoes tremendous change in 72 hours. And, and then you see order restored and then you're going to see free elections. And I, I believe Maria Karina Machado will be elected. And in 10 years, we'll be talking about the miracle of Venezuela. Well, that's a good segue because I did want to focus a little bit on, uh, since Pedro isn't here to speak on it himself, on um, specifically on the, the, the political party, uh, Vente Venezuela, it's called. I had to look that, that up for a second. Uh, and that is led by the who you just mentioned, Maria Karina Machado. And this, this is what I think you both would consider like closer to the true libertarian movement in Venezuela. Uh, the term liberal doesn't have the same meaning it has in the United States. The liberal yeah. really does mean you know what we're talking about, free markets and that sort of thing. So uh, either of you can take it away. I, I'd love to learn more about this political party and uh, specifically about uh, Maria Karina Machado. Well, uh, why don't I give a little bio and then I'll turn it over to Maria. So uh, Maria Karina uh, grew up uh, in an industrial family and her father's business was expropriated by Hugo Chavez. She was elected to the National Assembly where she was the only member of the National Assembly to oppose the gun confiscation. She stood up in the National Assembly and she called Hugo Chavez a thief to his face for his expropriations. She was then uh, removed from the National Assembly by the Chavez regime. She's persecuted. She's been beaten. She's been threatened. She's prohibited from leaving Venezuela now. She's uh, an amazing, amazing freedom fighter. And this woman has no fear. And she is well known as, see, what's happened over the last six months as Guaido has failed to rid the country of the regime is people have lost faith in Juan Guaido and they're looking towards somebody who's stronger uh, and they're, they're looking towards Maria Karina. 
And I think that, that, that she's had a major shift in public opinion in her favor over the last six months. Uh, but go ahead, Maria. Uh, I think it's, uh, you left out that it's very important that uh, Venezuela is not recognized as a political party by the National uh. Electoral Council in Venezuela. Why are they not recognized? Because the regime and the false opposition, they know that they're the only ones calling the shots and telling things as they really are. So as Kyle mentioned, Maria Cornia has always had the same, I mean, she called back 10 years ago, Chavez to his face that he was a thief, that he was a, a the, worst in, the worst in humanity and, and people laugh, laughed at her. They didn't believe in her and now they're uh, looking back at her and saying, hey, Maria Corina was right all, all along. And personally for me, Maria Corina is a great inspiration because she's a woman, this, uh, this crazy political world, especially in Venezuela and sometimes many feminists, especially from the left, they they forget the job that she has been doing as a woman in Venezuela and in politics and for freedom because she's defending freedom in the face. I mean, only last week she was on a tour and they stopped her bus. They were going to beat her up, and she was she stood there like you know I'm here for liberty. So that's very empowering and but it's also sad that. This, this has to happen to her. So I guess in a sort of best case scenario, there would be, uh, from your perspective, there would be some kind of political change in Venezuela so that at least these political parties that can at least be involved in the political process and actually become a legitimate political party. And then hopefully, if it all, if all goes the best way it could, someone like Maria Karina Machado will get elected and you know actually institute actual libertarian policy. So I guess, would you both say that's sort of uh, the dream scenario if everything were to work out as good as it could? That's correct. All right, well, uh, you know, you know, we, we've been on for a little bit while now, and I, I want to make sure I, I because we, as we talked before the show, uh, of course, most of my listeners are in the United States, but uh, we see the map. We, we get access to this downloads map, and it's always fun when we can look and see these little downloads here, little downloads there, uh, sometimes downloads in Colombia. I know, Maria, you listen to the show. So if you could just send a message uh, to the world, to anyone who might listen, about uh, socialism in Latin America, about libertarianism in Latin America, and uh, I guess why libertarian all around the world should care and what they should or could do to help. What message would you like to send? And I'll let you both do that. But Maria, I'll let you begin. The fight for liberty anywhere is the fight for liberty everywhere. That's what Kyle and Pedro had taught me. And we need to defend freedom because sometimes we just spend time talking to other libertarians and they're very convinced. We don't need to sell our ideas to them. But to all the libertarians and friends of liberty that are hearing to this podcast, it's time to go out, to speak up, to talk to everybody about liberty uh, so that they, they don't forget that liberty can be very easily, we can lose it very easily. So, so it's time to speak up. Don't be afraid of it. Because before I met Kyle and Pedro in Mongolia, I thought that I was like, there was this little cluster of people here in Colombia that, I thought we were the only ones fighting for liberty. And it was very refreshing to go and to see that people from all around the world are defending liberty. So this is our time. So this is the time to do it. So it's funny you say that because even here in the US, uh, you know, like, 
10, 15 years ago, I used to think I was the only libertarian here. <laughs> you know, it's only when you really start talking about this stuff and then you, you start to realize that these people are everywhere, not only just here in the United States, because even that was a revelation, but now to find out that people of this mindset exist all around the world and then now we can all get connected, go on podcasts together. It really just is an amazing thing. So it's, it's a really awesome yeah. message. So I appreciate that, Maria. Uh, and Kyle, I'll let you get in any, any last words about your message to uh, libertarians around the globe about, about the situation here in, in Venezuela. My message would be, number one, that, that we spread liberty person to person, and we do it by connecting with our fellow human beings. So at refugees, no matter where they are, if they're in Greece, Syria, if they're in uh, Bangladesh, if they're in Colombia, Venezuela, wherever, they're human beings. And you can make such a huge difference in somebody's life by treating them as a human being. And so I would urge anybody who, you know, we have, unfortunately, in, uh, in libertarian circles, there are some illiberal sentiments about immigrants, and I would urge you to, to, to consider them first as human beings. And, um, and that, is, that goes a long way. But yes, the fight for liberty anywhere is the fight for liberty everywhere. And I don't feel free. I don't think that I can ever win my freedom if there are other people suffering under the yoke of, of some kind of socialist oppression. Free markets are... are necessary to human flourishing when you live under a under a socialist system your life is just cut short it's cut short probably in length uh, but also it's cut short in your potential and and uh and i just can't stand to see that kind of thing happen i want to see human beings flourish and to see human beings flourish they need freedom and free markets and so i i mean i'm very active promoting libertarian ideas in the United States, but I'm just as active everywhere. I go to Singapore, Uganda, Poland, Colombia. I'll be uh, going um, maybe to South Sudan in a couple months. The, the, wow. These ideas are universal ideas. Human beings should be free. And and we should never lose sight of that. All right. Well, thank you, Kyle. And thank you, Maria. And before I let both of you go, I want to give you guys a chance, uh, since you're kind enough to come on and talk to me, to plug anything and everything you want. So, Kyle, I'll start with you. Feel free to plug any of the work you're doing and maybe how people can even contribute to that work uh, in terms of your medical assistance. And you know, feel free to mention anything else you, you would like that you are uh, got in the work. All right. Well, um, the organization that I go down to Columbia with is called MedGlobal, medglobal.org. You can make a contribution if you want. They do good work for refugees all over the world. Uh, I'm going to probably be putting up a GoFundMe in the next week or so, uh, requesting donations for medications. And what I'm going to be doing is I'll be buying medications wholesale in Colombia, and I'm sending them across the border with Movimiento Libertario Venezuela activists to give to people in need inside Venezuela. Um, so if if that is something that interests you, you'll be able to to chip in to buy medications to send into Venezuela. So um, you know, um, I have a Facebook page, Dr. Varner. I'll be promoting it there. If you just type in. Dr. Kyle Varner, you'll be able to see my Facebook page. Um, and, um, and well, maybe by the time the episode airs, we might have a link to that. Um, but that I, I believe very firmly that we spread liberty by being kind and good to other human beings. All right. And Maria, feel free to let everybody know about all the great organizations that you are involved with and uh, you know how they can find out more and how they can you know, reach out to you and, and help out. Well, as you know, I'm the current director of the Libertarian Movement of Colombia. We're starting to set up a schedule for seminars around, uh, around the country to train our people and to teach more people about liberty so uh, we also having a podcast we have uh, youtube videos and if you want to contribute to this cause if you're interested in promoted liberty in colombia and in latin america feel free to reach out to movimiento libertario colombia that's libertarian movement colombia to facebook Twitter or Instagram. Uh, I'm also a chapter leader of Ladies of Liberty organization here in Colombia. So also 
please feel free to don donate to Lola in the in the United States. We're doing a great job. We're reaching a lot of young people, a lot of uh, freedom fighters. So again, Mark, thank you so much for having us here to hear my my comments and my emails. It really means a lot to us. Sure thing. Well, again, thank you so much, Maria. Thank you for reaching out and uh, helping set this up. Thank you also, Kyle. And uh, we're hoping to connect with Pedro. So uh, you know, sometime after the show. Yeah. So I, I do hope to bring him on. Uh, you know, sometime down the road also. So uh, we will definitely continue this conversation and keep it going. So thanks again, guys. Thanks for all the work you're doing out there. Keep up that great work and keep on roaring. Thank you. Roar. <laughs> All right, kitty cats, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Maria and Kyle. And, you know, Maria actually reached out to me directly after my interview with Jose Nino on the subject of Venezuela because she thought there were some other perspectives on the situation that uh, herself, Kyle, and Pedro, who unfortunately we were not able to connect with. We did confirm that he was okay after the show, by the way. So I am going to try to uh, get a hold of him down the road and set something up. But uh, obviously, being in Venezuela himself, it is a little more difficult to uh, get a secure connection and, you know, reliable power and that sort of thing. It's just, it speaks to the situation there in Venezuela. But, you know, a lot of libertarians have different views on this issue, different views on many issues. But I've had on uh, Zach Foster, Jose Nino, Kyle and Maria today. I've had on Daniel McAdams. All these people have been on sort of various sides of some feuds on this issue, some of which have spilled into the Twitterverse and that sort of thing. And you know, at the end of the day, I am always on the side of individual rights and the individual. And I am always against coercive actions and the violation of individual rights. How that always plays out in the real world, however, is often a matter of perspective. And my aim with this program has never been to necessarily give you my perspective necessarily or tell you how you should think from my point of view, although that often does come out in certain conversations, especially when we do our roundtable shows and that sort of thing. But really the goal with my show here and the flagship show on Mondays is to facilitate conversations and to bring you different perspectives. So I try to bring you as many different perspectives on this and many other issues as I can, and I let you, the very intelligent listener, make up their own minds at the end of the day. Speaking of different perspectives on issues, as I mentioned way at the top of the show, way back in the pre-roll, myself and Brian McWilliams, your Wednesday host on Electric Liberty Land, we had a little, about 45 minute or so, live stream chat about the issue of immigration and borders, which actually does in many ways tie into today's show. And, uh, you know, it got a little uh, got a little feisty. Not personal, of course. We are friends for a very long time. But we definitely disagreed in many ways. And uh, if you want to hear that full conversation... You can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. For as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of our audio content. For 10 bucks a month, you get to all the video content. But for $2 a month, you can access our live streams, which we do do for a lot of events like the one that we did um, that, or that myself and Brian did uh, the other day. So if you want to access that, please do check out our Patreon. Every single dollar that uh, comes into us through Patreon goes back into this show, goes into covering events like Porkfest, like the Libertarian National Convention, which we're going to be doing next year. By the way, don't forget, if you do want to join the Libertarian Party, if you do want to have a say in who becomes the Libertarian nominee in 2020, the only way to really do that is by joining the party and getting involved and hopefully coming to see the Lions of Liberty at the Libertarian National Convention. Of course, you want to join through our affiliate link at lp.org slash Lions of Liberty. That way you get to join the party as well as help your favorite Libertarian podcast at the same time. What? a deal that is. Of course, it's not just me here on Mondays on the flagship show. We also have the aforementioned Brian McWilliams with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land every single Wednesday while John Odermatt wraps things up with his hard-hitting and very inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system every single Friday 
on Felony Friday. That's why you got to hit that subscribe button, folks, because you don't want to miss a thing. And we show up every darn time. We don't miss a show. Even when we have technical problems, even when something goes wrong, we find a way to get you your episodes every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We make that commitment to you. Why don't you make it to us? Click that subscribe button. It costs you nothing. And of course, if you want it to cost you something, we're more than happy to uh, to take your donations over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. You can also uh, donate via cryptocurrency. Uh, you can check that out over at lionsofliberty.com slash donate. You can also uh, subscribe to the Pride and you know pay, pay us monthly over at PayPal at paypal.me slash Lions of Liberty. That's all for this week, Kitty Cats. Next week, I've got a little history lesson for you. We're going to dive into uh, some of the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict with Sheldon Richmond. My gosh, how have I never had him on the show in six plus years? I have no idea, but we're correcting the mistake next week where Sheldon Richmond will be my guest. Really looking forward to that. Until then, and until next time, friends, live long and live free.